Kizzy's Friday Game Changers, taking your business to the next level. Coming up on Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. For me, it's about that the key really right now is to acknowledge where we're actually at, where people are, where the eyeballs are actually at, how people actually want to, you know, thinking about the consumer, putting them first, the audience first. How can you offer value to your audience as opposed to just trying to sell them something? Um, and then, you know, building out from that point as opposed to where things have been traditionally and what you would like to say as, as a brand, you know, let's start with the audiences, let's start where they are, let's start with what they want and then, and then build out from there. Hi, this is Ray Zin. Hi, I'm Jamie Martin from Ideal Shopping Direct. I'm Kate Bell, founder of Zip Us In. Hi, my name is Eirik Aide Patterson. I'm a co-founder of Seaborg Technologies. Hi, I'm Katie Farrell, transformation coach, founder of The Catalyst for Life. Hey everybody, I'm David Frangioni, CEO and co-founder of All Access IDA, Inspire and Develop Artists, and you're listening to Kizzy's Friday Game Changer. Check it out. My name is Siobhan Joseph and I run Booker Bookkeeper Limited. Booker Bookkeeper are a bookkeeping and accountancy practice based in central London. I started my career over 18 years ago and I trained in a central London practice with small to medium companies. Now I want to take that experience and bring it to other small to medium companies to show business owners that you do not need to fear your finances and you can take control of your accounts. I do this with one-to-one sessions and workshops covering recording transactions, cash flow forecasting, and budgets. My top tips are to plan. Plan everything. Get your filing dates and deadlines together. Now set aside regular time to record your transactions, be it weekly, monthly or quarterly, and make sure these dates coincide with your filing dates and deadlines. Keep all your documentation in one place that is easy to find and you're not looking around. I'm a big advocate of the cloud and paperless systems. Now we've been using emails in the cloud for many years, so it's nothing to be afraid of. If you're using a software, use any automation that's available within that software to make your job easier and any apps that can link your software, and especially apps that can link your software with your payment system. At the year end, this saves time. This saves time for you when you're looking for transactions because you will not remember something which you purchased a year ago. It also saves time for your accountants so they don't come back and ask you more questions, which means reduced accountancy fees. Now, usually it's the purchase receipts that get lost, which means that you'll end up with a higher profit which then means you'll pay more tax. So it's beneficial to have all of your documentation together, have your bookkeeping in order to save you time, money and tax. Welcome to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers with your host Kizzy Nkwacha. A show for innovators and motivators, people just like you. Kizzy is the publisher of Business Game Changer magazine and the property investor, editor of the successful Women in Business book series and the best-selling Every Entrepreneur's Guide series. Every week, Kizzy and his guests provide you with the tools you need to take your game-changing business to the next level. Listen, learn and innovate. Now meet your host, your mentor and your fellow game changer, Kizzy Nkwacha. 
Hello, welcome to Kids Friday Game Changers. This week, I'm talking to Rupert Rickson, the 24-year-old founder of Perspective Pictures. Now, Game Changer Rupert Rickson has been creating businesses since the age of 12. Perspective Pictures began life just two years ago, operating from his parents' shed with only £50 in the bank. Flash forward to 2019 and Perspective Pictures is now worth over £1 million and produces digital first video for world leading brands including Rolls Royce, Google, Sony and HSBC. In just a few minutes I'll be talking to Rupert and uncovering his strategy for game changing success. It's Friday, I'm Kizzy and this is Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. Listen, learn and innovate. Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. Don't just play the game, change the game. Hello and welcome to the show. Rupert, it's fantastic to have you join me. Thanks very much for having me on. I've got to say, yours is probably one of the most incredible stories of success that we've had on the, on Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. I understand that at the age of 16, you ran a business with your mum, Angela, renting out Nerf guns for children's parties. And after a while, you and your friends began using these Nerf guns to make videos for your YouTube channel. Then what happened? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I ran this kind of business where we were doing events and renting out these these Nerf guns or Nerf blasters, um, and I wanted to bring in more business. But we didn't have any kind of real money spent on marketing, and we'd already spent you know some money on on buying all of these Nerf blasters. Uh, so I thought, well, I'll just kind of make some videos and 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 kind of see see what happens really. So I'm, I started making kind of um, like action videos where rather than having normal guns you know as you might see in like a war film we'd replace them with nerf guns and very quickly this this kind of really took off with like the community um so some of them today have got like you know a, a number of million views and it was all organic viewership and we had other people speaking about us and promoting us and we were reviewing nerf guns and releasing regular content uh and that owned media provided a huge amount of value and we got you know, a lot more bookings from it. Um, we had a lot of, um, I had like people like recognizing me, which was hilarious. You know, like kids when I was like on holiday in Egypt, be like, oh, it's the Nerf gun guy. Oh, you make Nerf videos, um, which was hilarious. And then basically um, it, the video kind of side of it really, I kind of really ran away with it and really, really enjoyed that. And the Nerf side of it and the booking side of it and the party side of it, it you know, it was a bit more seasonal because they generally they'd need to be outdoors and, you know, I find it increasingly kind of less interesting. So eventually, I, you know, we, we sold all the Nerf guns and stopped doing that, and I just decided to focus on making videos. And then the Northern Rock crisis, that, that kind of played a role in your decision-making. What difference did that make to you? So uh, my parents um, were, um, you know, very working class. Um, they worked very hard and kind of built up um, a level of kind of comfort and and luxury, you know, uh, you know, by by with kind of property development and, and yeah, working very hard. Um, I got used to that and, and really enjoyed that as a kid. And increasingly, you know, Christmas and as materialistic as it is, you know, Christmas and birthdays and stuff were, were very, you know, kind of fruitful for me as a child. Um, and we got to do lots of fun things and go on really nice holidays. And then my parents were caught out by the Northern Rock crisis. Uh, and they lost, you know, quite a lot of money. Uh, and that kind of really then impacted our lifestyle and how we were able to live. Um, and for me, I'd seen the hard work that my parents had put in previously. I'd seen the kind of 
you know, the, the rewards that they'd experienced as a result of that. So I understood the value of hard work and, and where it could get you. But also I really wanted to help my parents because I still wanted to kind of live this this kind of lifestyle that I've been leading. I still wanted to feel that kind of freedom. I didn't want to feel kind of financially restricted, even though I was like 13, 14. Um, and so I decided that I would I would start kind of making money myself. And it always been very like project based. But, you know, my KPIs, you know, as it were, uh, were never around money or finances. They're around like having fun so I might be like trying to build a theme park in the garden for my younger, younger siblings and like hanging like big toy like riding cars from trees and swinging them around so for me I was very project based as a kid I was really excited to make stuff very like hands on very practical and all of a sudden I wanted to make you know money um, to, to, to kind of help my parents and to, you know to, to, to be able to kind of support myself and support the lifestyle we've previously been, been living. So what would you say was the biggest challenge you faced getting prospective pitches off the ground and how did you overcome it? Um, I think that the biggest challenge getting prospective pitches off the ground would lie in probably battling my own in kind of take my like my own confidence and my own determination. You know, it was really hard and it was quite scrappy at the start, you know, running around and going to networking events and you know, trying to kind of pitch videos and all this sort of stuff. And that, that was really hard. But the problem is, is that video is um, wildly subjective. You know, it is an art form. Um, and so building the confidence to really put yourself out there in the first place was something that I found very challenging because, you know, when someone says, oh, that, that video is really cool, you know, often it's your friends and family and they'll they have a vested interest in, in saying that because they care about you and they, they, they want you to do well. Um, and yeah, so it was, so for me, it was about like, I knew that I had to put like so much into it to, to get it off the ground. I knew I needed that, but to do that, I needed to have that confidence in myself. So I think for me, it was a process of building that confidence in myself and, and really pushing myself. And then I felt kind of comfortable, you know, driving the business forward. It's really interesting that you say that because I'm thinking that for a lot of um, entrepreneurs who are starting out, their first port of call would be to go to some sort of business school or do a qualification or something in business management. But you kind of you kind of circumvented all of that. You went around all of that and you just went straight into the business and learned on the job. Yeah, absolutely. Like I can see why people do that and I think it's about like being almost given permission like you know if you feel qualified to do something you feel comfortable doing it but it's certainly not a must you know a need and I think for me I really really benefited from starting so young with business um, you know starting perspective pitches at 21 really really helped me kind of drive things forward because even though you know, when I started the company, it was like two of us in a shed in my parents' garden. When you turn up at a networking event, you're like, oh, I run a little video production company and you're 21 people, are, you know, they'll give you a little bit more time of day. They'll allow you to make a few more mistakes. And, and you know, that some people will kind of take on almost like a duty of care to you and, and, and kind of help show you the industry and advise you and, and mentor you and that sort of thing. So, yeah, so I think, you know, the hardest thing about entrepreneurship as a general I think often is it's just getting stuck in you know a lot of people spend their whole lives waiting for like the the, the best idea in the world to come along um, and then they'll do it but actually I think yeah it's about getting my advice would just be to get stuck in as early as you can as quickly as you can and you know work out what you know what the fuck you're gonna do if I'm allowed to swear uh, as you go along so, 
<laughs> we're probably going to edit that bit out, but we'll just keep on going. No, um, okay. <laughs> so, during those earlier years, did you consider the, op- the opportunity or the option of going for venture capital, you know, getting getting people to invest in your business so that you could grow quickly? Yeah, I mean, I was I wouldn't have known the first place to start with um, with venture capital um, at that age, and I, I'm glad I didn't because I think they would have probably eaten me alive. Um, you know, we we did do a Cedars round last year. We did a crowdfunding raise and raised like just like 150k um, just to kind of take you know help us scale and take things to the next level. Um, but no, I think I think I think it's very hard. I think that investors generally good investors really 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 know what they're doing and they are very switched on and i think that if you don't know what you're doing yet um as i wouldn't have in the early stages at all uh, then i would steer clear of things like that and wait till you have a better understanding of where you want to take things and, and and what you want to do and have you know have real kind of data or you know tangible things behind you and your product because otherwise you're going to have to give up a lot of equity and, and therefore a lot of control early on very wise words and I think that equity issue is something that a lot of people just don't really understand the implications when you take on uh, investment funding they're going to ask you for a percentage of your business which could could be a huge problem in the years ahead of you yeah yeah no absolutely absolutely I agree and you know people it's hard because you know you, you you're often in business you have to be so short you have to be really focused on your short-term objectives because you might be facing a problem like cash flow which you know you can have the best products in the world but if you don't have any cash you know the business can fall apart within a matter of weeks so you know i think that i understand when people think very short you know in the in the real short term but equally doing that can can be really damaging to the long term as well. Mm, exactly. I, I know that your first hire was a friend of yours, um, Oliver Spain. Um, it's a fantastic name, Oliver Spain. But, yeah. but then Perspective has grown to, to a team of 10. How do you find your team members? So Well, it's actually 15 of us now, so we've, we've had a bit, of a bit of a growth spurt recently. But... Um, Team members, it really varies, you know, we've, some of them, when we started out, we didn't hire anyone who'd ever done the job they do now before, and we hired, I hired people that I knew personally based on their personalities, and what I thought would work well for their roles, um, and their sort of natural talents, so that, that worked out really well, to be honest, and then, as we've grown, we, we get a lot of applications, um, for people to work at perspective pictures off the back of press, or our work, or, or whatever else, so, we have quite a large influx from there, really. Um, you know, so we use both our kind of personal networks and people that come to us. How would you describe your business culture? Um, I think that it can be very unconventional at times. Mm. I think that we started from scratch on everything. So for both good and bad, um, we've worked, you know, We've never taken anything that's been told to us or, or done before us just as as gospel, as it were, you know, just because there are X rules or normally companies do it like this doesn't mean that we've done it like that. So we've kind of questioned everything. And there are a lot of things that, that people say, oh, you should do this. And we're like, yeah, well, you know, we're going to see and try and whatever. And then we end up being like, no, absolutely. We should we should just do that. Uh, and then there are things, you know, that, that, that a lot of companies do that we don't do and, and everything else and, and it works out absolutely fine and has done so far but maybe it won't as we scale so I think it's, it's it can be very uncom- unconventional but we have a very kind of flat structure as well where a- anyone who has ideas can speak up and, and, and should feel empowered to do so 
um, and we, you know, I think everyone gets on very, very well, to be honest. You know, we, I think we have a very, very positive culture. I think it's one of our, our strongest attributes. It sounds like it makes a huge difference. And just listening to you talk, I get the feeling that you're not just running the ship as well and steering its direction, but you're also still learning and you're, you're, you're still a student, aren't you, really, of this, this business world? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, like, you know, I've only ever had one kind of job, proper job before, proper job as it were, um, which was at a drinks company. And that was that was like 12 people in size, 11, 12 people. So I've never worked at a business bigger than perspective, which means I have an inordinate amount to learn about corporate structures, leadership, um, filmmaking and creative, building, scaling, all this, you know, finance, like all the sort of stuff is, you know, I am, I am learning on the job a lot of the time, but that's what I think keeps me, keeps me interested, really. I can tell you that um, I've had the privilege of talking to um, CEOs um, from all over the world and people who've been in the business for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And the one thing you all have in common is that you all say that we are still learning. And I, I don't think you ever stop learning at all. No, I, that, that, that brings me great, uh, great, great pleasure to hear that because, you know, I, I, I would be... I would be devastated to stop learning. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you ever will, mate. Um, but hold that thought. We're just going to take a quick music break and come back to our conversation in a few minutes. This week's boss star is 33-year-old Ghanaian entrepreneur Kenneth Hafiano. Now, Kenneth is the founder of Zabifa, an ethical fashion brand based in Ho, Volta region, Ghana. When Kenneth's not training people in the fine art of batik, he's also, I'm sure you'll agree, a very talented musician. Here he is performing Believe in You. Have a listen to this. They don't want to believe in me. How can I believe in them? They don't want to believe in me. How can I believe in them? You don't want to believe in me. How can I believe in you? You don't want to believe in me. How can I believe in you? You don't want to believe in me. How can I believe in you? You don't want to believe in my dreams. How can I believe in your dreams? A journey of a thousand miles begin with a step So get up, stand up, do something best for yourself You can't sit always and be asking for a help Man put it on your knees, forgot to put it on your head Believe in yourself and say that you can Believe in yourself and say that you can Believe in yourself and say that you can We're going straight to the top They don't want to believe in me yeah. How can I believe in them? They don't want to believe in me 
Get in touch with Kizzy's Friday Game Changers by emailing FridayGameChangers at email.com and follow us on Twitter by searching for Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. You don't want to believe in my dreams. How can I believe in your dreams? Hi, my name's Andy Cracknell, Digital Awareness Game Changer Strategist at the GC Index, and I've been a game changer for 14,600 days. That's why I listen to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. You don't want to believe in me. How can I believe in you? You don't want to believe in me. How can I believe in you? You don't want to believe in my dream. The world famous Game Changers show. Game Changers show. Game Changers show. Welcome back. Before the break, you're listening to Kenneth Hafiano, founder of Zabifa, an ethical fashion brand based in Ho, Voto region, Ghana. And the track was called Believe in You. I'm in the studio talking to Rupert Rickson, founder of Perspective Pictures based in Islington, North London. Now, Rupert, we're at my favourite part of the show, a section we call Past present and future. What it means is that I'm going to ask you three questions about your business past, your business present and your future. And if we get this right, the answers will give us a unique insight into the mind of game changer Rupert Rickson. Are you game? 100% let's do it. Excellent. Now you've got to imagine you can hear a clock ticking in the background. That's the sound of time passing by second after second. Imagine yourself traveling back in time to meet the young Rupert Rickson just starting out on his entrepreneurial journey. The young Rupert asks you for one strategy that will help him grow his business. What would you tell him? Facebook ads. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would tell him to, to use Facebook ads more. I'd used them in the past, but I, uh, I didn't capitalize them until a, li- a little bit later. And it's been uh, a very effective way of us bringing in new business and inbound leads and me kind of scaling my time. So really, Facebook ads has really worked for you? Yeah, yeah, it's been absolutely game-changing for us. So when you were starting out, did you consider the possibility of Facebook ads and just dismiss it? Um, no, I think that we we tried absolutely everything um, when I started Perspective, um, but we didn't dedicate the time to everything at the level we should. Um, and I, from hearing how the traditional agency model works, I was much more kind of like orientated around face-to-face meetings and, and networking and getting out trying to meet people and calling people and all that sort of stuff. But actually, it's not it's not wildly scalable and when you don't have a big name behind you it's much harder to just you know call someone up and get a meeting with them uh so i think had we had i focused that same time and energy into facebook ads we would have you know scaled quicker but equally you know us us you know taking things slowly initially is also what allowed us to refine our style and and our product and everything else so 
it is hard to, uh, you know, it's is dangerous, I think, to go back in time sometimes and, and, and give yourself information. And of course, there's always a chance that if you'd gone back to those earlier days, you were a totally different person. So who knows? You may not have listened to the advice anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> 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 well, allegedly, we do live and learn. Let's move into the present. Rupert, what one achievement are you most proud of? Um, I think uh, my um, my brother joined the business uh, when I was, when like about six, about just over six months into starting. Um, and at the time, he wasn't going through a very good time at school uh, at all. And I said to my parents, why don't you, you know, he's very creative, you know, why don't you get him to, why doesn't he drop out of school? It's clearly, it's really not working for him. He was 16 years old um, and it's making him very, very unhappy. Uh, I said, why, do, why don't you get him to, to kind of drop out and I'll, you know, and I'll, and I'll like, he could come join the business and, and work for me for free initially and then I'll like train him up loads and then we'll, you know, we'll get him working and, and get him into the, the kind of, you know, real world. Uh, and as I said, yeah, he wasn't in a very good place. Uh, no one kind of knew quite how to talk to him, I think, in my family, you know, properly. Um, and we, I brought him into the business and was able to kind of with him help him really turn things around. He's still working here and is doing brilliantly and, and, you know, almost like mentors people in the team and is, you know, a very, very highly skilled editor and is, and is wildly creative. Um, but I'm I'm immensely proud of that because, and immensely proud of him, because I was able to, um, you know, really help him with with what I'd built in that early stage, you know, in those first kind of six seven months. It was enough for me to use that to then kind of help my my younger brother um, and and kind of help him achieve his goals and make him much happier. So yeah, I think probably most that's probably the thing I'm most proud of. What a great story. And I bet, Rupert, that if you look around you right now, everybody you see will probably have a very similar story about how you changed their lives for the better. Well, I'd hope so. I'd hope so. But, you know, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the present taken care of. Um, let's go forward 20 years into the future. It's uh, 2040, Rupert. I'm looking you up. Where will you be and what will you be doing? Uh, that's a great question. I have, I have absolutely no idea. Um, <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. I think that my thing has always been about getting to. I'm not too precious about what where I went to, where I want to get to things. You know, specifically, I think that when you have too specific visualizations of things that you want or where you want to be, it can be really hindering and taking other opportunities. Um, so for me, I've always just tried to take the the, the kind of fastest the kind of easy, you know, the path of least resistance to kind of roughly what I'd like to get to. Uh, so I've absolutely no idea whether or not I would one day go into, you know, into something like politics, working politics. I'd be very interested in uh, technology, um, running a variety of businesses, maybe 20 years, you know, I'll take some time off and be kind of relaxing a little bit more. But yeah, I think that it, it, um, yeah, I've, I honestly have absolutely no idea. Hopefully happy and, and having a good time and, you know, with those I care about around me. I've got a very good feeling that you will achieve those goals, Rupert. Um, I'm thinking that in the short time that we've been speaking today, um, I, I had this feeling that you like to change things. I wouldn't use the phrase disruptor, but certainly somebody who likes to make 
things different. And I remember reading a few weeks ago, I think it was, an article in which you were quoted saying that brands had to stop producing TV style content online and expecting people to engage with it. And I've always meant to ask you, Rupert, what did you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, our, you know, media has massively, massively changed in the past kind of, you know, three to 10 years. You know, how we consume media is, is evolving all the time. Um, television was obviously, you know, one of the, the you know, original OG kind of media sources and was so, was so kind of domineering and, and, and really owned media for such a long time that I think people really struggle to not see it as the, 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 the domineering force right now. Uh, so people either make television ads or you get lots of production companies that make kind of content like they one day would like to make TV ads. You know, yeah. it's like people make like low budget video content for TV that then post on social or they make TV ads and post it on social. Um, so for me, it's about that the key really right now is to acknowledge where we're actually at, where people are, where the eyeballs are actually at, how people actually want to, you know, thinking about the consumer, putting them first, the audience first, how can you offer value to your audience as opposed to just trying to sell them something? Um, and then, you know, building out from that point, as opposed to where things have been traditionally and what you would like to say as, as a brand, you know, let's start with the audiences, let's start where they are, let's start with what they want and then, and then build out from there. So I guess for you then, the idea has to be social first. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We are digital first, you know, through and through um, because that's where everyone is and that's where the most innovation is happening right now and that's where you can get the best results. Mm, interesting. Well, one last question. Um, how do you see the video industry developing? Because it seems that every time we take our eye off the ball and come back and have a look, it, everything has changed. So much is happening so quickly. What direction do you think the video industry will be going in in the years to come? Uh, we're going in the direction where content is going to become more and more and more personalised. So it's going to be about making more and more videos um, more and more content in a way that is more and more personalized for those who are viewing it. Uh, you know, the video ads that perform the best are those that talk to people personally and with social media and how you're able to kind of separate up content, you can target people also on quite a personal level. So I think it's going to be much more tailored. It's much more personal as a video company. You know, we're going to be sending more and more video deliverables to clients because that's what they're going to be after. You know, we're doing campaigns now where we'll do like three days filming and, and we'll, we'll produce 50 video deliverables. So I think in terms of us as an industry, uh, it's just about personalization and, and, and accommodating for these, focusing in on these platforms. I hear you. That does make sense, Rupert. Um, you're probably not old enough to remember, but many, many years ago, there used to be a TV show, a detective TV show called Columbo. Now, Columbo would always talk to somebody for a very long time, and then he'd say goodbye, and then just as he's about to leave, he'll, he'll come back and he'll say, oh, one last question, and everybody watching Columbo would know that's the question that he's been dying to ask all along. So this is my impersonation of Columbo. I'm going to say, Rupert, it's been a fantastic pleasure talking to you. Please pop in again and see us later. Oh, before you go, one last question. 
Rupert, let's talk about this phenomena that we're experiencing where videos seem to be overtaking reading as a way of picking up information. Are you encouraged by the fact that video does seem to be the predominant way that most people prefer to pick up information? Well, that's a very, very good question. Um, I am encouraged by that and discouraged by that at the same time. I would say that one of the main positives of video is it's wildly accessible. Mm. Um, so for me, I'm quite dyslexic. I do really struggle to read. I find it very difficult uh, and to absorb information in that way. Uh, but there are amazing kind of like video publishers like, um, you know, Vox, um, who do really, really kind of insightful kind of short documentary pieces about current affairs and, and, and events and, you know, different different kind of cultures around the world. So I think the really good thing about video is that if you're not academic and whatever age you are and whatever understanding you have, it makes information incredibly easy to consume, which I think is why it's so popular. It's, it's, it's very accessible. And I think that's very positive. And I think in a world where like, you know, people increasingly are moving away from academics, uh, you know, people like myself who are watching YouTube videos, you know, watching loads of tutorials, practicing, 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 and then going to whatever their field is. I think, again, video is very, very, very good at teaching and, and explaining in a way that reading kind of, I think, falls by the wayside sometimes, other than in kind of deeper analytical things. Um, I think that, you know, uh, the thing that I'd be concerned about is there are kind of very, very dense topics that require you know that effort to go out and read about and, and to really kind of dive into uh, and my concern would be that information that isn't easily digestible will be kind of put by the little uh, via video will be put by the wayside a little bit um, you know but but I think that that's for our education system to kind of you know come into play here and, and, and kind of really foster those academics in our society and you know while video can take those who aren't quite so academic uh, and, and teach them other skills and, and engage with them in other ways. Um, so I think it's, I mean, it's very hard to say, really. I think that there are big positives to it. I'm sure there'll be negatives. You know, things like attention spans are certainly getting shorter. Um, but, we'll, I mean, we'll have to see what, what the future holds, really. Yeah, I can see your point, and I hope that um, what you're saying will strike a responsive chord with the people who make these um, policy decisions of how we're educating our kids, because our attention span is getting shorter, and people are becoming more demanding when it comes to using video content to pick up information, rather than just simply sitting in front of a, a printed page. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, as you can probably tell, Rupert, I've got a library full of questions um, for you because it's not very often I get a chance to talk to somebody who's got their finger on the pulse of the video creation world um, as, as you have. Um, but I know you've got a million things to do. So what I'd like to suggest is that we perhaps continue our conversation in a couple of months time when we can get together, have a cup of tea uh, and have a chat. And um, perhaps you can share some more insight on how video is changing the industry and changing our lives. Can we get together again in a couple of months? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, hopefully I'll get you the viewership numbers and then we'll be, you know, we'll be back on. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Rupert, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank you very much for, for taking time to chat to me as well. It was, it was lovely chatting to you and to, to explore these, the, you know, the kind of questions you asked me. Well, Rupert's incredibly inspiring story is a, it's a great reminder that it's not resources, but resourcefulness that ultimately makes a difference. And a resourceful person like Rupert can see opportunity 
when others only see obstacles. It's a lesson that game changers like Rupert are teaching us every day. Listen, learn and innovate. Playing us out is Annie Kiko, the creator of True Voice Global and this incredible track's called Livewire. See you next week. Farrell, transformation coach, founder of the Catalyst for Life, and I love listening to Kiz's Business Game Changer podcast.